I just want to begin with another quote from some of C.S. Lewis's work. And C.S. Lewis's demon character, Screwtape, is, is teaching and training his young nephew. And he says this, the most difficult prayer for us to handle, this is of the Christians, those, those who know the Lord, the most difficult prayer for us is, not my will, but your will be done. This is the sixth message of about 12 in our series. So we're halfway there, amen? amen. Who here has had the chance to read through the book of Galatians already? Maybe once or twice, listen to it. I, I want to maybe just recap some of the tensions that the Galatians are facing. Um, the role of the law before Jesus versus the role of the law after Jesus. Perhaps the Galatians are struggling with with faith, and how because of faith they now belong to the family of God, and then the activity comes, the good works comes, whereas maybe the Galatians have fallen into a bit of a trap where the activity has found a place on the same level as faith and belief in God. In other words, you need some activity to make sure that you belong to His family. And then maybe the Galatians have fallen into a bit of a trap about, well, what family do we belong to? Is it many groups in Christ? Or is it we're all one in Christ? Because what Paul was seeing potentially was two separate groups, two separate Christian groups, maybe a Jewish Christian group and a non-Jewish Christian group. Of course, it's completely different today. Uh, we use nicer terms called denominations and independent churches and, and we, we, if Paul was here, he would maybe be saying, aren't we all one in Christ? So these are some of the tensions that are being wrestled with. I want you to just see as we read this passage of Scripture, Galatians 3.15 to chapter 4, verses 8, three particular phrases that Paul uses. Paul says, what I'm trying to say, in verse 17, in verse 24, he says, let me put it another way. And in verse 1, he says, think of it this way. Paul is really trying hard to get a message across, trying to express himself in three or four different ways. How to belong, how to be one in Christ, how to have this relationship where we can say, Abba, Father. A statement of a relationship is Abba, Father, is Daddy God, is, is I'm a child of God. Therefore, Abba, Father. So let's read the word. Dear brothers and sisters, here is an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I am trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be 
cancelled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, Apple or Android, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are His child, God has made you His heir. Amen. The tensions in this passage 
Are, are, are we children or slaves? Is it faith or activity? Are we disciples or self disciples? I made that word up myself. Are we, are we in the presence of our Father, our Abba Father, or are we detached? Are we, are we separated? Are we away? Do we remember the story? Do we remember the promises that God made, His Word? I think these are some of the tensions that we also face. Sometimes we think and act like slaves instead of like children. Sometimes we, we rely on our activity rather than faith. Sometimes we follow Christ and other times we just follow ourselves. Sometimes we, we seek and, and yearn for God's presence and other times we're, we're just quite content on our own. And I wonder if, if Paul is using Abraham and using some of the story that has been twisted towards the Galatians, he's, he's retelling the story in a way that reminds these beautiful people that it's Jesus who came to save them and nothing else. So I've got good news for you this morning. That Jesus desires you more than you know. That He has come to save you. That He chases your heart. That He desires ongoing close relationship with you. Paul is very passionate that no Christian would have Jesus misrepresented in any way. That no Christian would face undue pressure from the world that would overcome the truth of Christ. For Paul, he's interested in what we really think. Who do we trust? What do we believe? So in some way, this passage of Scripture is encouraging us to take a step of faith as shared this morning, for us to live our life, that is faithfulness. So some things, some words, some, some phrases that I just want to look at. To live the promise, to protect the promise, to remember the promise, the seed of the promise and children of the promise. So first of all, to live in the promise... Faith is something to live into. I love the idea of faith being a noun, but I also love the idea of faith being a verb. Faith is something that we can do. Uh, we heard shared this morning that we love to do things. Men love to sweat. It can be sometimes a little bit sweaty when it comes to faith as well. Would you agree? The, the inner tensions of our, of our life and our our, our belief, our, the, what, how we think and how we see and how we handle this world, those inner tensions, where does faith come in to that part of our life? Faith is something to live into. Faith in Christ places us in His family. I'm not living for me, but Christ lives in me and I'm willing to follow Him. 
sincere heart, no inhibitions. Jesus knows me. He knows my failings. He knows my flaws and he still loves me. I don't need to be afraid to try and be perfect. I can just be who I am with Christ. In a small way, I think our life should sound like a pretty simple song. That everything God has made is good, even me, even clotheslines and plants. I want to show you a short video clip of my young daughter, Anna, singing a song. I can't remember what age, it was before school, so she was just singing a song. She dressed herself up inside a TV and she was showing off a little bit probably. But she was essentially in her growing and her practicing and her understanding of God. She was simply making up a song, expressing something of her understanding of Jesus. She was just living into the promise in her own way. She was just expressing childlike faith, childlike faith that was, that was not pressured by experiences and not pressured by culture, just childlike belief and faith. Can I show you this short clip? I promise you it's like 30 seconds and I've put some underlines because it's a bit hard to understand sometimes. So here we go. I promise you it does go on. <laughs> but the point is, what you're hearing is just the heart. Jesus loves your heart. Jesus just wants to hear you sing your song, whatever it may be, however that song is. You see, it's important that we remember that it's faith first. It's believing in Christ first and then we respond, Abba, Father. You see, Anna is responding because she's learning and, and growing in, in, in who Jesus is and, and this, this person who we can love and know and she's responding through that little song, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Note the word says prompting us to call out, not forcing us. You're not forced. When you say, Lord, you are my Lord and Saviour, you're not forced then to say, Abba, Father. Just the Spirit of God prompts you and says, hey, this is what the relationship's like, Abba, Father. No one's forcing you. No one's pushing you. There's no, there's no law there. It's a heart response to an Abba Father who had a heart response towards us. Uh, this prompting, let me explain what this prompting is, I think. Occasionally, Bex prompted me a few times. 
She said a few times in a robust discussion we had recently, uh, you don't tell me that, I lo- that you love me enough. What? She had to prompt me to remind me to tell her that I love her. Do I really need prompting for that? Really? Thank you for that affirming yes, I know what side you're on. (laughs) Or the prompting of the conscience when you're in a situation and you, you just know that you could go this way or go that way. And you know what the right thing is and there's just a prompting of the way to go and the way not to go. No one's forcing you, but it's a prompting. Does that make sense? That's what the Spirit of God does, prompts us to respond and live our life in a way that is Abba, Father, Heavenly Father, help us this morning to hear the cry of your heart. Father, I pray that we would be open to be prompted again and respond, Abba, Father. Everybody said, Amen. I want to talk about protecting the promise. Paul is very passionate to protect this promise. In Galatians 17 and 18, Paul brings up this agreement, this this deal that God himself made with Abraham without a mediator. It was based on a promise. And so how could God then do something else? Do something that was opposite to the promise when the law came. Surely those things aren't in conflict. And so what Paul was showing was that, yes, Galatians, whilst you're focusing on the law and that makes sense, remember what was before the law and that was promise. Remember that bit first. Remember that it was faith that Abraham obeyed and he left his home country. He left everything he knew and He followed to the place where God would show him. It was faith that caused Abraham to enter into the promises of God. Paul is passionate about protecting. So we just need to just be reminded of our first love. We all know the passage from from Revelation. The abridged Ben version is... You're a great bunch of people. You do so much good. Just one little problem. You don't say you love me enough. You've lost that first love. Where's that? Paul is desperate to protect the promise, the love promise. But let's back up a little bit for Abraham. In the beginning, God created and it was good. His word was a promise. When he spoke, it happened. God's word was a promise. Genesis 1 and 2 teach us that what God said can be trusted. What God said can be trusted. With the entire world, he spoke it into being, but something different happened when it came to humanity. The word records that in the creation process, God got involved and he formed And he breathed into humanity. That was different. That was different. The the creation of God's image, 
people who were like him was a very intimate, close-up process. It was not just a matter of speaking, let there be light. This was a process of, of forming and then breathing in to humanity. This is a very intimate and a very close God who from the very beginning was right there with us. From the very beginning breathed his own life into us. The very beginning point. God is not someone who's far from us. He is very interested in you. He made you. He created you. He knows you. He knows your ups and He knows your downs. He knows your pressures. He knows what's coming up. And He knows what's just gone. God has never abandoned us. Even before we sinned and He created us. God's love was there. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that God chose Jesus to be our ransom before the world was created. In Ephesians 1.4, he said that God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. I mean, what an incredible love. A provision of God's love was also a provision for our sin. And of course, the classic question we all deal with from time to time, well, why did God even create us? Well, because God's love is absolute. It is so true. God is love. His love was such a commitment, such a promise that He would not abandon us. In Psalm chapter 15, it says that God is like this. He keeps His promises even when it hurts. Even when it's at his own disadvantage, he keeps his word. In other words, when God chose to love us, that's it. Even at his own disadvantage. And so because of God's love, because of his love for the world, because his love for creation, he sent his only son, Jesus, at his own loss, at his own cost, Jesus came so that we might have life. So that we might believe and exercise faith and, and say the words, Abba, Father. God's love is a promise. And this was very important. The people of the day would have got this because of the honour culture of the ancient Near East times. We don't really have an honour culture. If you enter into any agreement, you can pretty much get out of it. Speak to the residential people who deal with residential property... Um, any agreement that you make, you can just, doesn't matter. We don't understand honour culture in the same way where this letter was written to a people who really got honour culture. They understood that when you make an agreement, when you say something, it really matters. It really matters. And so when God says something, when God says a word and makes a promise, it can be trusted it can be believed. And we need to protect God's promises to us. Because in our culture, in our world, it seems as though there's an erosion of the value of one's word. There's an erosion of promise. Look at what's happened with marriage. Whatever situation you want to think about, there is this constant erosion of promise. That is not 
the same for our God. God's promises are yes and amen. And that's it. That's all there is to it. The Galatians have bought into this idea that the law must be followed first before Jesus. So Paul uses this on a culture. In verse 15 he says, Do you know like agreements that we make? They're irrevocable, aren't they? And the Galatians go, yeah. Yeah, once we make an agreement, they're irrevocable. So Paul says, well, do you know that the promise that God made to Abraham was based on faith? Yep. Oh, I see where you're going, Paul. And then Paul goes, and you know how the law came after? So God's not going to break the promise of faith, the role of faith to Abraham. In fact, the law came as part of the promise of faith, not the other way around. Galatians would have gone, oh, how did we miss that? How How did we let that happen? What happened there? You see, for the Galatians, we, we know about the Ten Commandments, but do we know the other 603 laws that the Jewish culture used to follow? Have you ever read some legislation recently? Have you ever read the road rules? I see pieces of legislation that say Australian Road Laws, Simplification Act 1999. I don't see the paperwork being any smaller. Or tax laws. Have you ever seen the simplification of Australia's tax system? 2004. Is anyone aware of that legislation? It is massive. There is no simplification. Simplification is code for we're going to get more money out of you. The modern day equivalent is this. Coming to church does not save you. Being here does not save you. It's because of Jesus we are here. That's what Paul's working at. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Paul's saying. And for these people, the bottom line is whose children are we? And they all want to be children of Abraham because to be children of Abraham means we're children of God. And if we're children of God, then he's our father and we have inheritance. Spiritual life really mattered to these people. It is different for us, would you agree? Spiritual life, like the way you were cool back in this time, was to be a sold-out spiritual person. To just be completely, madly sold out. We, we sell ourselves out in other ways. Uh, Master Chef, well, that's a bit nasty, Ben. Netflix, well, that's nasty. Uh, I don't know if you can sell yourself out to the Crows or Port at the moment. We sell ourselves out to, you know, being family people, taking care of our family. We, we sell ourselves out in all sorts of ways. Paul is desperate to protect the promise that all that matters is that you're a child of God. How are you a child of God? Well, God made a promise to Abraham, and that's it. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Are you children or are you slaves? Don't drift away from this first love. Don't don't fall away from Abba Father. 
Don't let that be stolen and taken from you. Abraham was someone who lived with faithfulness, not just activity. You see, it wasn't just about rules and circumcision and 613 laws. It was always first faith, God's promise. What has God said and do we believe it? So remember the promise. So we have this beautiful passage of Scripture from Galatians 3, 26 to 29. We are all one in Christ through faith in Christ and because of Christ... We are true children of Abraham and God's promise to Abraham now belongs to us through Christ. This beautiful phrasing that Paul gives us, reminding us of the promise, reminding us of the truth, reminding us of where it all started. Remembering was very important. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, when the people of Israel were saved out of Egypt, There was a command which says, listen, when you get to the promised land and it's good, and it comes to the time where you need to bring a monetary gift back to the temple, back to the place where where you're going to worship, when you bring that gift, you need to say that, that, remember, this was the promised land. You need to say to the priest that that we were once slaves. Remember where you came from. Remember your story. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, it, it talks about how God instructs the people that, listen, when you come into this promised land, remember to say these words that my father was a wandering Aramean. Remember where you came from. Remember what was the thing that brought you out. It wasn't your own works. It wasn't your own strengths. It was my mighty miracle power that caused the freedom to come from the place of slavery, which was Egypt, that brought you through the desert areas, that conquered the cities of Canaan, and now you're in the promised land. What did that? Remember. 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 Remembering is so important. Even Jesus says at the Last Supper, he says, do this in remembrance of me. This table is so important for us in this day and age to remember Jesus, to remember him. The seed of the promise is really important. And this is perhaps something where where some of the different translations of Bible can make it hard to understand. So let me just try something here. If I say offspring, do I mean one or do I mean many? Do I? My offspring could be just one. My offspring could be many. Agree? Or if I, if I use the word seed, my seed, do I mean one seed or do I mean many seeds? This, 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 this idea here, in the original Hebrew language, was very clear. It's singular. Singular. There's only one family. There's only one seed. There's only one true offspring. There's only one true promised child. And of course, that's Jesus. That's it. So for us to be in the family, for us to be a child of God... It means that we need to be in Christ Jesus himself. 
Christ Jesus himself. Paul is trying to clear up and safeguard that it's the seed, not seeds. It's, it's one, not many. It's all in Christ and that's it. There is nothing else. There is no other. In verse 26, Paul says that Christ is like putting on new clothes. Which means if we all wear those new clothes, we're all one in those new clothes, are we not? We're all clothed in Christ. There is no separation. There is no difference. It's just all one in Christ. So what does this mean for children of the promise? Well, God loves his creation so much that his love was absolutely firm. His word, his decision to create us was a love decision, was a promise decision. Something that God will never renege on. And in that firm commitment, Jesus came, the seed of Abraham, the the child of faith, the promised one, who could live without sin unto the law and gave his life for us. And death could not hold him down. And so now, the first of the resurrection, Jesus alive, his life is offered to us. How is it offered to us? Do we believe? That's it. Do we believe? Do we believe? Because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. I just wonder what the song of your heart sounds like. How is the song of your heart this morning? Does the song of your heart sound like Abba, Father? Does the song of your heart respond to the prompting of the Spirit of God himself to what Jesus has done, does the song of your heart sound like Abba Father? The most difficult prayer for us to handle, says Screwtape, is not my will but your will. When we put on Christ, this is what we say. Not me anymore, but Christ. When we call the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, when we accept Jesus into our life, we're saying, okay, it's not my way anymore. It's, it's your way. It's not my will. It's your will. That's a cry of Abba Father. That's a recognition that I am a child of God.